This was my favorite part. Anybody else? Anybody else? This is my favorite part. <laughs> Y'all, Wasn't that fun? Yeah, man. Y'all sweaty. I'm getting into it, Lynn. Yeah. I'm nervous as heck. Yeah? Yeah. Did you have fun, though? Absolutely. Was it good? Yeah. 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 Did you? Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you, guys. Worship team. Thank you, Lynn. Yeah. We talk, about, we talk a lot about diversity and what that means, and I love the fact we get to celebrate diversity in terms of intergenerational. Amen? I mean, this is one of the reasons why I love our church for what it is. And your love for folk music. Thank you. Yeah, you're Lynn. welcome. Absolutely. Yep. Join any time. Let's give these guys a big hand. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's, uh, let's just jump right in. Um, we are talking about origins. And as Emily does such a beautiful job, we're talking about the origins of our church and why we exist. The title of this morning's message is Peacemakers. Peacemakers. And I want to just tell you a quick story. Um, I don't know if it's going to tie into what I'm talking about, but I might as well. Uh, it's it's, a, it's a, an embarrassing story about your pastor. I know you guys like to, like to hear these transparent and vulnerable stories. So here's another one. Last Saturday, my oldest son, who uh, runs track, um, by the way, I asked him for permission to share this, so he said it was okay. He runs track. And uh, it's towards the end of the season, he's got track tournaments. And last Saturday was this tournament in Hanson Park. Does anybody know where Hanson Park is? Way on the west side. I didn't know exactly where it was. Sunday, Saturday morning to afternoon, it's a four-hour track meet. It, just, it was just a long day, and I had the two little ones with me. So I'm driving out there, and I'm getting all flustered because I'm like, this is so much longer than I thought it was going to be. And out of my anger, I'm telling my son, somewhat half-jokingly, like, take the bus home. Like everybody else, you know, I'm just saying stuff like that. <laughs> I could totally sense you're judging me. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. That's why I'm sharing this. So we get there, you know, and he runs the race, and it's hot, and I got the two little ones, and I get in the car with them because he's not running another race for another three hours. And I, you know, and we go out and get lunch, and he says, ah, oh, Dad, we're running. Uh, my race is actually earlier than I thought it was going to be. And I get there, and his race is over already, and... The judgment is strong this morning. The judge. Um, so get there, and you know, he's, he, I have an amazing son, and you guys are not going to get emotional. But anyway, so I get there, and he has a friend with him, one of his classmates. And he says, Dad, um, can you give him a ride home? Okay. Um, okay. So he gets in the car, and sits in the front seat, and the ones are in the back, Parker's in the back, and it's pouring rain, by the way. It's just, it, it's just disaster all the way around. Driving 10 minutes into it, and I say to Parker, I'm like, where does your friend live? And Parker goes, I'm, I don't know. Hey, and he says to his friend, where do you live? And the kid gives me his address, and it's 30 minutes out of the way from where we live. And I am, I am at this point, like, not a Christian, it's, it's, it's like the only thing I can say. I'm not a Christian right now, okay? I am, I, I, it's just so embarrassing. It's just so embarrassing. But I'm just going to be fully vulnerable. So, so the whole time, I didn't say anything. I just sat there just driving, you know? There's a kid sitting there next to me, and he's feeling kind of uncomfortable. Parker's in the back, not saying. So get there, drop him off. And like an hour and a half, we're in the car. We get home, and I'm just stewing because I'm like, I got to preach tomorrow. It's going to my, you did study. And finally, Jenny comes home that evening. We're having a conversation. I somewhat unload on my son and saying, you know, he should have told me about his friend. You should have known where he lived. And Parker starts getting emotional. He says, do you know that his parents don't come to any of his events? I said, Dad, he has to find a ride or take the bus every track event home. And I thought it'd be a nice thing to do, just to give him a ride home. And I feel like this big right about now. 
So I apologized to him, said I'm sorry. That a good conversation about why I was amazed and so proud of how he ran and what he did. Um, in many ways, it's, my son is so much better than I am in, in so many of these areas. He taught me a lesson that day. You know what the lesson is? One of the simplest ways to show, one, show someone that you love them is to go out of your way for them. Can I say that again? A simple, simple way to show someone you It's the gift of inconvenience. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. I think if loving somebody is convenient, I don't think we're doing it right. Can I, 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 okay, some of y'all cover that. I'm serious. If, if loving somebody is convenient, I don't think we're doing it right. I really don't. I think, I think when you love someone, it out of inconvenient time, effort, energy, money, resources. Jesus said it this way. There is no greater love than this that he, what? Lay down his brother for a brother. I, how often do you and I go out of our way for somebody? Or is everything on our time, our energy, our resources? See? In essence, I, I share this story because I think, I think it captures, in essence, our, our mission, what we're about. Jeremiah 29, we'll get to, seek the peace and prosperity. love this city, pray for this city. We seek to be a city within a city. And I'll be really quick about this in the next few minutes because we need to get to the meat and heart of this because you've been coming for the few weeks. It's, our mission starts with we seek to be a city within a city in alternate Chicago. And in this city, this comes right out of Matthew 5, where Jesus says, you are a city on a hill. In this city, called alternate Chicago, the citizens, you and I, live in a way that's radically different from the rest of the city, like my son. <laughs> radically different in regards to everything. Money, sex, resources, how we go about vocation, our marriage, as we shared about this morning. And everything that we do in our lives, we are radically different because we live in the city of man, but we belong to another city ruled by another king. Amen? And his name is King Jesus. And belonging to him, being subjects in his kingdom, changes everything, everything about how we live. And we say in our church that the way that we go about being citizens of this kingdom is three ways. We love Jesus Christ. We engage in community and we advance his cause. Or threefold reconciliation. We're reconciled to God, reconciled with each other, and we work towards reconciliation of the entire world. To which some of us go, why, why, why that part? Because we know in our church, we've been saying from day one, that the mission of God, the whole point of what God does, does in his death and resurrection is not to whisk people to heaven when we die, but check this out, to bring a foretaste of heaven down to earth. That's what God is after. He's not concerned about the whisking to heaven when we get to, he's talking about like right now today, how is, how is this city where we're at in our little corner of our kingdom, tasting a foretaste of the kingdom and the values of the kingdom through you and me. A couple passages real quick, because this is all over the New Testament, but here are a couple that I haven't used yet. Ephesians 1.9, God has now revealed to us the mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything, what, say it with me, together, everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Let's get this straight. That thing right there, the, the, the result of his death and resurrection was not just to save souls, but to bring everything under his lordship so that everything would be healed. Now, here's the thing. Who and what is God's plan for that? in the world today. What is God's plan for making the world knowledge about this is what God is after? How is God going to show and display that this is his work? What is his plan? We are his plan. We are his plan. God has no, Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now through the church, through 
the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rules and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, Jesus didn't die and rise again so that we could just stop doing bad stuff. The church, is the one I grew up in, was obsessed with making sure we stop doing bad stuff. And I just want to tell you this morning, the death and resurrection of Christ was to unleash an army of reconciliation ambassadors to heal our world for Jesus. Amen? That is what God is after. And check this out. He says, we get to join him. We don't have to. I don't have to love my wife. I get to love my wife. Do you know the difference? Some of all walking around because the gospel hasn't penetrated our hearts. We walk around thinking, I have to do this. I God goes, you don't have to do anything. You get to. Join me? What? In his restoration work? Your life is not an accident. Your life's not a mistake. I'm going to say it again and again. It is filled with divine potential and purpose. Amen? But there's also a, a challenge here. You know what the challenge is? Oh, this is, the challenge is, I'm going to put this right here. Hopefully I won't fall off. The challenge is, looks into this. The challenge is God says, you, the church, have a responsibility in this work of God, though. What, 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 God says, how is the watching world going to know that God is out to heal and restore, put everything back together? And God goes, people ought to look at the church. And see people who never get along anywhere else. See people who never enter into any deep meaningful relationships. People who, frankly, in our culture and society, are divided. The church ought to be that one place where people ought to go, whoa. They're coming together in ways we've never seen before. You're telling me there's actually a place where, and this is the definition of racial reconciliation in our church, you're telling me there's a place where people actually commit to deep, long-term, intentional relationships based on repentance, forgiveness, justice, and love in order to address and heal personal systems. You, you're telling me there's actually a group of people that are doing that? That's a foretaste of heaven right there. Now, can I just, I'm going to say two, three really tough things this morning. Here's the first one. Here's how I know we'll be doing this. I could care less what you post on Facebook. Can I get an amen? I could care less what you tweet. I could care less that you could regurgitate some podcasts you've heard that make you sound like you're really, really, really enlightened. Here's how I'll know that we're getting this. I will go to your birthday party because you've been in our church for years, and the people that are at your party will not look just like you. I'll go officiate your wedding You've been in our church for a few years, and your wedding party will not look like people just like you. Here's how I know we'll be getting this. You'll dedicate your baby, and the friends and family that come are people who will not look just like you. That's how I'll know we are actually getting this. We live in a day and age. We could come across and pretend in our false self to be more further along than we actually are. Let's be authentic and honest with who we are. Can I get an amen? amen. Church, come on. See, I'm thankful that some of you guys are rightfully, rightfully angry about systems and injustice, but working for justice without relationships turns people into projects, and I'm gonna tell you, nobody wants to feel like a project. Working for justice without relationships turns people into projects. You don't want to feel like a project. I don't want to feel like a project. But when you love and care about the people, you care about the situations they're in. And you stand in solidarity with them for the long haul. Mike Crable over there, he and I were talking about this. Here's a dude, he and his wife, they're committed, man. They are committed. They're the neighbor. They are committed. Teaches in a tough school. They are committed as committed can get. He and I were talking last week. By the way, Mike is a white dude, okay? 
And I commit it, and, and, he's in a, and, 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 and he's telling me, he's like, you know, I'm trying to live into this, and I can sense a little frustration. He says, man, it's so hard, the whole relationship thing. It's much easier to do. And he goes, and I asked him point blank. I said, Mike, you've been here for like 10, 11 years. I said, how many deep relationship, meaningful relationship do you have? And he starts listing them, right? And then he gets to one of his coworkers that he's been trying to reach out to, instructional assistant, African-American lady, who has a child, same age as his second son. And he says, you know, we've invited over to our house, she's been over to our house, and we're trying to do this thing, and, and it's really hard, and it's just, and, I, guess, and I, I looked at him, and I said, let me ask you a question. I said, what if success for you in obedience to this meant that she will be the only person you'll reach in 15 years? It'll take 15 years for you to learn this, and she will be the only person you might impact, and you might be the only person she'll impact. And Mike said, no. Actually, he said, Man, Peter! Because <laughs> here's what we're getting at. We define success in this in all the wrong ways. I want to make a big impact and I want to change this, I want to change that. Change with yourself and change one other relationship. I'm proud of you, Mike Crable. Because he is in the trenches and saying, I'm committed to this and I am willing to have my success redefined by the kingdom values and not by worldly standards. Me too. We won't get to stop though at just being a countercultural community. We'll move on. What do I mean? We, Jeremiah 29, 7, we seek the peace and prosperity of the city. We don't just care about our church, making disciples at our church, how many people at our church, but at our church, our building is beautiful. That's not the goal. The goal is that we move out to the larger city and we serve the city, we love the city, and we work as peacemakers. So in a nutshell, as, Michelle share, uh, as uh, Emily shared, our mission is to be reconciled, to be reconciled. Say that with me, ready? To be reconciled, to be reconciled. Now, now, here's where we're going today. Here's where we're going today. Here's where we're going today. Because I'm finishing this series for this time. What we're going today is going to be, as I said, kind of tough for all of us to hear because what we're going today is so foreign, I feel like, to many of us and our church cultures that we grew up in. As we dig into what it means to be reconcilers, working for the peace and prosperity, we begin with the words of Jesus when he says in Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray. And when you pray. Let me just break this down and then we'll get to this. Right before Jesus is in when you pray, it's a section on prayer. He then talks about things like when you pray, don't babble. When you pray, don't stand in the street corners to be seen by men. He says, when you pray, go into a closet and pray for your heavenly Father sees you and listens to you, right? That's what he says. That's what he says. Now, here's the thing. Here's what happens before verse 5. And you can look at him when you go home. Before verse 5, he's been talking about righteousness to the poor. He's talking about radical generosity. He's talking about justice. Verses one through four, righteousness, justice, working for the poor, radical generosity. And then verse five, and when you pray, da, da, da. In other words, prayer is not a standalone for Jesus. Prayer is connected. When you say to somebody, you're talking to somebody, you say, and what you were talking about before is intimately tied to what you're gonna talk about, what, what, what? Jesus is saying, Prayer and work for justice is intimately tied. Loving God and loving your neighbor are intimately tied. If you're praying and intimately communing with your Father in heaven, it will drive you out in service. The people who are most, the people who are most effective, most radical in working for justice in our world today are the same people whose hearts are being affected through intimate prayer. Are you with me so far, church? Yeah. A couple huge ramifications of this, and that is this. The only way that you and I will be effective as advocates for justice and reconciliation is it has to begin with fasting and prayer in our closets. Do you know why some of us are not effective out there? Do you know why some of us aren't effective out there? Because we're self-righteous. 
There's so much self-righteousness around justice work. We're, we're, we're self-righteous. We're judgmental. We're angry and we're bitter. The only thing that could heal our hearts of anger, self-righteousness, and judgment is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in our closets. We are assured of our acceptance, of our security, of our affirmation, and of the love of our Heavenly Father. Please don't hurt people in the name of Jesus. Every single one of us in this room needs to have that self-righteous thing in us bleached out of us to be effective in loving our world. Can I get an amen? Stay in the prayer closet until God bleaches that thing out of us. I shared with our staff this week. I shared with our staff this week that I have not been a very good leader for you. Do you know why? I've not been a very good leader for you because working for justice requires so much fasting and prayer. And it dawned on me that when it comes to issue of racial reconciliation, we have not begun with fasting and prayer. It's dawning on me that when it comes to issue of racial reconciliation, that many times we approach it from the perspective of intellect, knowledge, experience, what book I'm reading, what podcast, and where is that sense in which we're desperately saying, God, we need you in this. White supremacy is a sin of idolatry and racism is a stronghold that needs to be rooted out. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, we're fighting against powers and principalities. This is not something that we can do because we're smart. This is not something we can do because we know a lot. Prayer is the difference between you fighting for God and God fighting for you. Who are we fighting? Secret prayer is a secret weapon in working for justice. Can I get an amen? See, it grieved my heart a little bit. And when I asked some of the small group leaders and went to multi-ethnic conversations, I said, if you spent an hour and a half discussing multi-ethnic conversations, how long did you pray? So we begin with the word of prayer at the beginning, saying, God bless us. And at the end, saying, God, thank you. And then we say, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. We really think heart transformation is going to come because we say the right things in the right way. Do we really think this is possible without fasting and prayer? Church, church, can I talk to my white brethren for a second, please? Because I love you. I love you. And because I love you, one of the things I want to say to you is this. One of the things I see that's a hindrance to you is fear, fear, fear. Saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, fear, it's fear. And I'm telling you right now, fear is not going to be addressed because we become more woke. Fear is going to be addressed because as Bible says, perfect love drives out fear. And God is perfect love. The only thing that's going to deal with that fear that you have that keeps you stuck is not learning about more things. It's when you encounter God's love radically that you no longer fear man, but you fear God. God, may we find ourselves on our knees because when it is, it is when we find on our knees that you extend your right arm, your powerful right hand. I'm sorry, church, I have not led you better. We're going to do better. We're going to do different. We're going to lean into who God is and what he can do. Amen. And we will continue to talk. We will continue to fight. We will, but we will begin with and when you pray. Now, there's another really sobering thing about this. And, 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 and Cece, I don't know if that was tougher or this is tougher. That was pretty hard. Because just as sobering as this truth, what Jesus is getting at, and that is this, if your prayer life does not result in radical generosity and courageous justice, then you might not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
I'm going to say that again. If our lives, prayer life, do not result, do not result in life of radical generosity and courageous justice, we might not know that this isn't my words, it's Jesus. One of these passages in the New Testament where I go, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that is Matthew 25. On judgment day, Jesus, I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats, the saved from the lost. And he says, this is how I will know those who are genuine in their faith. Good Lord. 25. For I was hungry. Verse 35. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. By the way, the word stranger and neighbor are the same words in the New Testament where stranger literally means foreigner, someone from another country. What does this tell us about our country and how we are actually responding to strangers among us? Please somebody convince us that we're a Christian nation. Somebody please convince me. See, this is what happens when I preach on Memorial Day. Normally I take this Sunday off, but this is what happens. All of this stuff comes out. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Verse 30, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And to everybody's going to go, when did we see you do that? Verse 40, say the following with me. Ready? Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Unmistakable, Jesus says, I am one of them. I so identify with them. And if you through the Old Testament, you'll realize how often God says, I am their defender. I am their God. I'm their maker. I'm their creator. I'm their father. He says, I am them. And then God says, So what you do to them, you do to me. A life of radical generosity and courageous justice is the inevitable sign of real faith. It may not happen right away. It may happen slowly. But over time, a heart and life poured out in service, at least of these, will happen in your life. If it doesn't, you have to ask yourself, do I know the God of the Bible? By the way, can I just say, if you're not a Christian here, I'm so glad you're here this morning. If you reject Christianity, do you realize that this is a big part of Christianity? A God of the weak, a God of the poor, a God of the marginalized. Do you realize this is at the heart of biblical faith? Do you know what Jesus heavily borrowed from in Matthew 25? Isaiah 58. Jesus literally like expounding on Isaiah 58, which if you've been around at our church, you've heard me preach on before with a couple wrinkles today. Isaiah 58. Let's turn our Bibles to that, okay? Isaiah 58. We'll spend a few minutes on this and I'm going to do some practical application and then we're going to hear from Daniel Lespada. Isaiah 58. Jesus expounds, Jesus is literally in Matthew 25, he's he's thinking about Isaiah 58, listen to what it says. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Verse two, for day after day, that's persistent, that's consistent, they seek me out. And the word seek is literally worship observances. So here's what's happening here. <laughs> you got to track, you got to follow. In other words, they're going to church. They're going to Bible study. They're in small groups. They're tithing. They're serving. They're doing all the things that you and I would go, ah, that person's pretty uh, spiritual. They seem eager to know my ways, as passionate, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not broken the commands of God. In other words, their personal morality is spot on. So where you, if you grew up where I came from, they don't drink, they don't smoke, or go with girls that do, or they don't cheat on their taxes, they don't <laughs> sleep around. They don't do the, their, their personal morality is spot on. They're doing the commandments. They ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near them. Oh God, where's the rebellion and the sin you're talking about? Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves? You have not noticed. There's a disconnect. God's not answering their prayers. Listen, they are the picture perfect of personal morality, okay? You are the poster child for someone who is a really good Christian, and yet God is not answering their prayers. Why? But on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Can I just say something? Justice 
is just as much about how you treat your employees. Don't think justice is, it's about how you treat your employees. Are you about profits? Are you about dignity affirming workplaces and compassion? Can I just say this? We have lots of professionals. In In every company, there's a pecking order, yes? Yes, there's a pecking order, right? I'm married to a doctor, so I'm very aware of the doctor pecking order in a hospital got the whoever there and then doctors and then the nurses and then the physician's assistants and the nurse assistants and you go can I just ask you something do you know what justice looks like this is this why I say it's all ordinary stuff how do you treat those people under you hey doctors when you walk down the hallway and you see a janitor cleaning the room do you actually take time to go hey what's your name Are we really different? Verse 5. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot do as you fast today and, 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 and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this it's not this, it's not this, the kind of fasting I've chosen. God is about to redefine worship, everybody. God is about to redefine worship. Can I just give you a definition of worship real quick? And then it's a sermon series. CC wants me to preach on it. Let's come in a little bit. <laughs> he wants me to preach on a sermon. So let me just give you what worship is, okay? Biblical definition of worship. Here's worship. Worship is our whole life response, both personal and corporate to God, for who he is and what he is, and expressing him by the things we say and the way we live. Yeah. This is what worship is. So when we relegate worship to what we happened on a Sunday morning an hour and a half for an hour and a half we not only cheapen it but we miss the entire point by the way can I just say that if your worship is small it's because your wor- because your God is small yeah. if our life of generosity justice is small it's because our God is small size of our God I think is directly proportional to size of our worship I'm not just about singing, I'm talking about our lives. How generous you are is directly related to how generous you think he was to you. How big is your God? How big is your God? Here's what he says about what, what worship is. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? The word share literally means to serve and to wait on. In other words, God is saying, I want you physically and personally to wait on them. I want you not to write a check. I want you figure out ways I say that because for some of us it's fine writing a check say I'm giving that's awesome we want you to do that we need you to do that but God says at some point that has to go along with me and my life is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer there it is again foreigner stranger immigrant with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood listen Flesh and blood is a synonym for all the people that he just mentioned. In other words, flesh and blood is those who are oppressed, hungry, naked, immigrant, stranger. God says they're flesh and blood. Flesh and blood literally in Hebrew means blood relatives. What are blood relatives? Your family. (laughs) This is a culture in which family is everything to you. There's no future without family. It's not like American immediate nuclear family. (laughs) Take mom and dad, I'll take you, leave it, whatever, depending on where you're going. This is a time in which without family, you have no identity, you have no status, you have nothing. And God says, you see those people? They are related to you. They're your blood brothers and sisters as if you were literally related to them by blood. I don't even know what to do with that. Except I know that centuries later, Jesus comes along into some smart lawyer who says, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, anybody in need. Not just people who look like you. Anybody in need. Not just people you like. 
Anybody in need? Anybody? Anybody? These verses, sorry, I'm just pacing because like, like my heart is about to like, because I spent time on this and, and I, I don't know what to do with it, guys. I, I'm just being honest. I'm like, See, we struggle with these verses. Can I just say that we struggle with these verses because we don't understand biblical concept of justice. We don't, we don't. We're Americans. What does justice mean in America? Gosh darn it, I want justice. (laughs) I want justice. It's so personal, individual. It's all about me. I want justice. Biblical justice has nothing to do with you. Can I get an amen to that? You're not the point. It's not about you. I felt good to say that. It's not about us. Biblical justice assumes a background. And the background is when God created the world, he created it to be what? Shalom. I love how you guys are using that word, by the way. Shalom. God created the world in such a way that every facet of creation would be what? Interwoven, interdependent, interrelated. Can you put that up? Time Magazine cover. This is why I so love this. This is the most recent issue. The unraveling of Europe. And it's talking about how the European Union is about to fall apart. Why? Because they're becoming more ethnocentric and nationalistic. Because they don't want to deal with the foreigners. And we in our culture say what? Our, the fabric of our society is what? Falling. We use this language. We kind of know intuitively. When God created the world, there's a sense in which things were intimately tied. Intimately. Do you know just even human being, our bodies? Think about our bodies. Do you know how many cells are in a human body? If you're a doctor, please don't laugh at me if I butcher this. Do you know how many cells are in a human body? I looked it up. 37.2 trillion cells. Give or take, depending on your size and all that stuff I heard. 37.2 trillion cells. 50 billion of those are fat cells, which is pretty depressing. Okay? (laughs) And then two of those, two of those, two of those are heart cells. The largest cell in the human body is red blood cells, which count for almost 20 to 30 trillion cells. But do you realize it only takes one bad cell? to go awry for the entire human body to unravel. See, the rabbis knew, Jewish rabbis, so they they said, imagine a garment, a fabric, where thousands of threads are interwoven. And the rabbi said, the garment is only strong and warm and protect and secure to the extent that all the threads are intimately interwoven. And when every thread is intimately interwoven together, the result is shalom, completeness, wholeness, flourishing. When our relationship with God unraveled, church, you need to understand everything else unraveled. Chain reaction. Why is it so hard to get along with each other? Why are marriages so hard? Why are the races at each other's throats? Why do we have to pretend and put on a mask? That's Genesis 3 and the result of what happened when we became our own masters. Relationship with God unravels, relationship with each other unravels, and the whole creation unravels. Paul says in Romans 8, all of creation is groaning for redemption. Do you realize how utterly broken our world is? Do you know that there's two billion people who live on $2 a day or less? Do you know that there are people who are dying every day from preventable diseases because they don't have access to medicine? Do you know that there are 12, 13-year-old girls in Thailand who have to sell their bodies to prostitution because there's no other way of supporting their families? Do you know that here in Chicago, depending on what zip code you're born into, the chances of you going to college diminish significantly? Do you know, depending on zip code, some streets are safer in that zip code than others? I mean, I can go on and on and on, but there's two things that I wanted to highlight for you in terms of the brokenness. Number one, do you realize Flint, Michigan, Flint, Michigan didn't have access to drinking water? I just saw this, America in America. In America today, 
10% of the wealthiest households now represent 70% of our wealth in America. Here's the next stat I thought you might know, and that is that in 2013, U.S. Census showed that the median net worth for black households in the United States is $9,000 compared to $120,000 for white families. Let me bring it home. Let me bring it home. Can I bring it home? Do you know that my children, my children, just because they're born into the Hong family household, will have two to 300 times more chances of economic and social flourishing than another child born to another family in the city. Our world is broken. Our world is unraveling. What do we do? What do we do? We've been saying this for a while. I love the fact, I love the fact that the Bible says, here's how you lose the chains of injustice. This is a little wrinkle for those of you, I've never preached on this, because it only talks about uh, 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 untying the cords of the yoke, but it says break the yoke. Verse seven, break the yoke. Why is injustice called a yoke? Well, yoke is something that you put on an ox or an animal. It's a beast of burden. And I love the imagery. In other words, a yoke is something that is just grounding that animal into the ground, right? And God says, that's what systems and structures are doing to people, are grounding people into the ground. And so what do we do? It's not just, hey, take those kids out of that school. God says, change that school. Don't just take them out of the neighborhood. Change the neighborhood. It's not just individual charity. It's structures. How do you do that? I don't pretend to even know and tell you in a two-minute soundbite, here's what we do. I need you guys to prayerfully figure that out in community, but here's what I do know what the scripture says, that is this. We begin by taking all the threads of our lives, all the threads of our lives, and what do we do? We find places of brokenness where shalom is not present, and we take our money, our time, our energy, our skills, our jobs, our talents, our networks, we take all of these things and where things are broken and unraveling spiritually, socially, culturally, economically, physically, we find those places and we pour and invest the threads of our lives. And in order to do this, I love the definition of justice by Bruce Walkie, an Old Testament scholar. The righteous are those who disadvantage themselves. Last time I'm going to say this, by the way. <laughs> I said it for four weeks. Disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, while the wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Can I ask you a question? Is this hard to do? Is that hard to do? Can I just offer a thesis of why I think this is a little bit hard to do for us? Is that okay? And if this doesn't resonate with you at all, you can go after the service. That didn't resonate with at all. Okay, won't be offended. I think there's a lie in our culture that we've bought that causes us to think like this. There's just not enough of whatever for everybody. There's not enough of blank there's limitations for everybody. It's what I call a culture of scarcity, a mindset of there's not enough. And so we believe this lie that says, I just don't have enough. Think about it. You get up in the morning and you go, I didn't get enough sleep. You go about the day and you go, you go what? You go about the day, you go, I don't have enough time. And you fall asleep going, I didn't do and accomplish everything. We walk around every day going, I don't have enough, I don't do enough, and I don't get enough. And this culture of envy that we live and breathe, follow me, just track with me, this culture of envy that we breathe, you know what it does? It causes us to compare ourselves to other people, which is, is pouring gasoline on this fire of like, I don't have enough. And we just go, I don't, not, I'm not, I don't have enough beauty, I don't have enough talent, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources. And at a societal level, here's what it does. At a societal level, we begin to look at the world as a big pie, and we go, if I give you a big piece of pie, there's less for me. Is this resonating with anybody? Mindset of scarcity that says there just isn't enough. So if I give this, so if you go, if I give you power, that means what? Less power for that's not true. And so the whole mindset is, <laughs> whole mindset is, it's either win or what? Lose. And we have somebody reminding us every day we don't want to be losers. 
to just declare this morning, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because of all people that should not fall for this, it's us. Can I get an amen? We serve a God of the universe. And God says there are a million, listen, there are a million things you don't have, but there are a million things you do have. There's enough power for everyone. There's enough resources for everyone. There's enough of love, enough of joy, enough of creative. There's enough of everything for everyone. And we of all people, knowing this, the gospel says you have everything that you could possibly want, ask, or imagine. You are a child of the Son of God and heir of the King of the universe. And you get this and you realize when other people flourish, that's when I flourish. When other people get theirs, I get mine. Does this make any sense? So why are we living in this mindset of scarcity? You know why? Because we don't understand the gospel. Why do you think every single Sunday I point to this? Why? It's the answer to everything. I'm almost done, CC. Because here's the thing. I'm almost done. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do you guys realize my conversation with you? I want you to go home and talk about this. I want you to sit down and go, are we functioning from mindset of scarcity? Are we really walking around going, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. Are we really walking around thinking that? Or do we sit back and go, do you know what the opposite of scarcity is? It's not abundance. Opposite of scarcity is gratitude. You will never get to a point going, I have it. It's gratitude. And of all the people in the world who should be most grateful, who, who, who should be most grateful? I love Dr. King. I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit by idly in the and I care about what happens to my brothers and sisters in Birmingham. Injustice. Anywhere, there's justice everywhere. You guys, here's how I want to end. Daniel, come on up here. Come on up here. Okay, come on up here. Come on up here. Okay. Come on up here. I need you to. I need you to grab a seat. I need you to grab a seat. We're almost done. I'm almost done. I need you to grab a seat. I need you to grab a seat. Okay. Yeah, grab a chair because I'm not quite finished yet. Okay. I need you to grab a chair. I just need you up here so that they know he's not done yet until he comes up. Okay. Come on up. No, I'm serious. Everybody, can you just give me, just listen. Yep. Let me just be really, let me tell you some stories of people who are living as shalom peacemakers. Can I do that? Yes. Let me tell you about, this is going to take a couple, let me tell you about businesswoman Wendy Clark. Wendy Clark. 20 years old, she started a cleaning business. 20 years old, she started a cleaning business, okay? And her mindset about what kingdom mission meant, most of her life was, I just make a lot of money and I give. And then she realized, shalom, shalom. So she goes, what does that mean for me? So here's what she realized. It's about how I run my business. Most of her workers are Latino moms. So here's what she did. She values the kingdom value of compassion. So here's what she did. She says, I'm going to change my entire business schedule to accommodate my workers. So when they go pick up their kids, I don't have to rush to work, and I don't have to rush. She said, I'm going to literally change my entire schedule so that my workers would fit the schedule, not the other way around. She says, less profits, that's okay, I'm allowed the kingdom. Training, when she trains them, she doesn't train them in the city. She takes them out to the country to a nice family camp. Why? So she could provide the workers and their kids to spend time together. Let me tell you also about uh, uh, Elizabeth Weller. Elizabeth Weller has a passion for agriculture. Agriculture. Thank God for agriculture people. Agriculture. But she also has heart for social, social work. So here's what she does in combining agriculture and social work. She and her husband started something called the Amazing Heart Farm, an agri agriculture-based center for people who've gone through trauma or loss. Here's a mission statement. You ready? By harnessing the therapeutic benefits of creative and physical work, we aim to provide a safe space for members of the local community to engage in emotional work and healing, to gain access to community resources, and to learn to use personal and community supports while providing themselves, their families, local community with locally grown fresh food. Agriculture. Here's another. Matthew Price. 
who uses his legal training to advance kingdom of justice for the poor in Uganda. He mentors paralegals and law school students from the Ugandan Christian Law Fellowship, and he trains them to provide representation to victims of illegal detentions. So he and his, his, his students visit prisons and, 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 and jail cells and, and advises the prisoners of their legal rights under Ugandan law. As a result, hundreds, hundreds have not only been let go, but hundreds, even if they did have to serve, had to serve the terms that were only, only uh, uh, qualified to serve. Here's another architect, Jill Sorensen. Architecture, she is like a typical for many of us who thought, you know what, me being a Christian in my architecture firm is just sharing the gospel and talking about, no, no, no. She says, here's how I began to live it out. She says, I got tired of building high-end condos. So she joins a company that works for sustainable, sustainable, sustainable buildings as well as, as well as healing spaces. Here's another one. Graphic designer, illustrator, Jesse Nilo, who started the Vineyard, what is this called? Vineyard Arts. You know what that is? She and 20 other artists, here's what they, they go to nursing homes, and they go to uh, uh, crisis pregnancy centers, and they facilitate art projects for the elderly and these scared teen moms-to-be, and they use art to draw people out of their anxieties and their sadness. Engineers, engineers who are advocating for product reforms in order to promote better worker or consumer safety. Middle managers, you're going, what do I do in my company? They're middle managers who are starting internships for people and kids from low income. I could go on and on. Do you see how shalom impacts everything that you do? Before Daniel comes here, here's my one thing, because I need you to hear this. I need you to keep your eyes on the cross. I need you to keep your eyes on Jesus. When you do this, I need you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because that's what Daniel was Do you know why I need you to keep your eyes on Jesus? Because on judgment day, when you ask, when did we see you naked? You know what Jesus is going to say? On the cross. John. John 19, 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am what? Thirsty. When did we see you thirsty? On the cross. When do you see you naked? Matthew 27. When they had crucified sins, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. On judgment day, when you go, when do we see you thirsty on the cross? I thirst. When do we see you naked? On the cross, as they cast lots for my clothes. Fix your eyes on him who abandoned all the threads of glory of heaven and integrate himself into the threads of humanity so that none of us will fall through. Daniel Espada. I'm sorry I went a little bit long today. Daniel, grab a mic. Daniel, I've known this, I was gonna say kid, but he has so much more white hair than I do, so I'm just not gonna say anything. <laughs> Daniel, we're over here. I've known you since what? 1999, that's when we met. And it was 16 years ago that I first walked into something called New Community Covenant Church. Yeah. Daniel was elected alderman. <laughs> we had coffee like a week or two. We had coffee like a week or two before elections, and it was it was glorious. But I asked Daniel as we close today, because he's been telling me he's like, "Do you know how much New Community's mission impacted my life trajectory?" So I'm just going to have you share, man, for a few minutes. I mean, it's true, and there's a, a lot we could talk about. We could talk about that scarcity narrative there. And who do we hear that from, and why do we let them determine the size of the pie that we're baking? And who started to make the decisions that we'd put three cups of flour in instead of two? Like, there's, there's some questions in there. Um, and I could talk about hundreds of gifts that God has given me through New Community over the past 16 years to prepare me for this moment, but I think I want to focus on three of them. <clears throat> and one is that mission statement. Would somebody put that mission statement up for me? <laughs> Are you going to preach, man? No, 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 no. I'm going to be so quick. It's so good. We it's so good. seek to be a city yes. within a city, an alternate Chicago. So if you say that almost every Sunday for 15 years, and you've got any sort of prophetic imagination, and I think God gives us a prophetic imagination. Yes. You start to think about what, what could that world look like? What is that city within a city? 
And now I'm blessed that God has chosen to give me authority and responsibility and stewardship over the lives of about 55,000 people, over a 50th of this city. And so what is that city within the city that we want to create? How do we call out the broken values and the frayed fabric of this city? And how do we start imagining what that city within the city looks like? And so I'm very privileged to have that opportunity in this moment for however long that God chooses to give me this authority. And I think about the sermon series that you were preaching about the masks, and we remember that that dummy, that creepy dummy. Um, (laughs) um, it, It really struck me because we were talking about the different places where you find your worth from. from your job or what people tell you about yourself. And certainly during that campaign, but even more so now, um, I hear so much about who I am and what I'm worth and on the good side and on the bad side. Mm -hmm. And it's so tempting Mm -hmm. to let that define me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I got to truly, truly pull off that mask every morning and every evening. Mm -hmm. And I will definitely need your help in that, you know. Um, People try to do that every day to like feed your ego or tell you who you are. And I just want to fight that so hard. And the last thing was, and I've been looking for this benediction. We used to share this benediction about the Holy Spirit, but it would end with till we are free from the service of ourselves to be servants to the world. Do people remember that benediction? We're going to bring it back, Daniel. Yeah. But I remember that because I've been so grateful that through a lot of people and through a lot of blessings that God did free me from the service of myself. Mm. He let me know Mm. through some times of really profound scarcity and pain in my life that I could depend on a community around yes. me and I could depend on him. Yes. So yes. now I, I don't have to live into the service of myself and it truly did free me up to be a servant to my city and yes. a servant to my community. Yes. And that, that's a boundless freedom and that's a freedom that I would pray for the 49 other people yes. that I'm going to be serving this yes. city with, that they yes. would come to learn and experience that kind of freedom yes. because it will enable us to really build the city that you all yes. uh, deserve to live yes. in. So yes. those are some thoughts that I've been thinking that I want to have an opportunity to share with yeah. you. Daniel, thank you. Yeah. So good, so good. <laughs> Walter Brueggemann, Prophetic Imagination. The whole point of this sermon series is to tell you, when you walk out of those doors, in whatever sphere that God has called you, bring a foretaste of the kingdom. And that just mean praying, leading a Bible. It means your job and how you go about working with God. He said, can the church pray for me? I was like, come on, bro. Do you not know community? Of course you're going to pray for you. So I'm going to ask anybody that wants to join us up on stage to lay their hands on this dude who is about to start. Come on, seriously, right now. Come on, come on, come on. And we are going to pray. Daniel, do you mind kneeling? Can we kneel together? Come on. As I said earlier, the prayer is when we kneel, when we kneel, God extends his powerful right arm. It's our kneeling posture and humility and surrender that unleashes, I believe, the spiritual work that God is about to do. Church, can you all stand with me? Can you all stand with me? Can you all stand with me? And if you're sitting there, just extend your hand out. Extend your hand out towards this brother. If it was up to me, I'd do this with every single one of you because what you're doing is no less important. Get that. Get that. Get that. Father, Enlarge our prophetic imagination. 
Show us how we have been sent to our kingdom assignments in a sphere in a corner of this city so that people might get a foretaste of your kingdom. Thank you for this man of God as he kneels in utter humility and dependence on you. We anoint him with oil. We anoint him with oil and we release, empower, equip, and unleash him for the kingdom of God. I am reminded right now, Lord, that you say in your word that gates of hell will not be able to withstand the and through every single one of us. I pray that in that aldermanic uh, group that Daniel will be a light, that he will be a salt, that he will be an ambassador for your kingdom, that through his life, through his words, through his actions, through his service, God, that those people in the larger city of Chicago might see a glimpse of the coming kingdom that is coming. May this man be on his knees every single day. May he realize that it is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. May he recognize, God, that he needs daily dependence on your spirit to equip and empower him for that work. Help him, Lord Jesus, to see the church flourishing under the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, and give his entire life for it. We lift him up unto you. May we be a church that will walk alongside this brother, encouraging him and being the kingdom community that he needs. Thank you, Lord, for this church, for the work that you're doing. And I pray for all of my brothers and sisters as we leave this place. Enlarge our imagination and ask, what is my assignment this week? And help us to obey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a great, great Sunday, you guys. Thank you, Daniel.